are going to be landing the plane in Hebrews today. We have been going through this book since, it was about this, it was about Thanksgiving. Took a break off for Christmas and then came back to this. This has been, I don't know, I thought Exodus was tough, guys, and uh, Hebrews was not any easier. But thank you for walking through this book with me. I mean, th- this has truly been, it's been a fun journey for me because it's, it's been a very present reminder for us in our season of who is Jesus and why is he such a big deal for us. So if you remember the whole first 10 chapters as we were going through Hebrews all kind of show us how Jesus is greater than the law. That this was a big thing that the early church was struggling with. Like who is Jesus and why is he so important? Does it, does it really make a difference what we are thinking about him, what we're doing? The author says uh, yes. Yes it does. Because when God makes his reconciliation available to us, he does so in his person, not his law. This is kind of the whole argument behind the first ten chapters. And then then we started getting the last three chapters where the author says, let's start to take it from this big idea and narrow it down and narrow it down. And let's, let's get a little bit more practical in our application. And we saw in chapter 11, the author says, okay. If it's true that God makes reconciliation available to us through his person, then our testimony has to be Jesus. Like everything we're doing, everything we're saying, that has to be Christ. Then Hebrews 12 narrows it down a little bit more to say, okay, how do we do that? Well, we endure all things in Christ as we're disciplined into God's image, right? If we're going to testify Christ, then everything we do has to be of Christ. So we went from testimony down to image. Now the author's going to get like really practical here in chapter 13, the, the kind of the takeaway they want their audience to have. We're going to look at two other places in scripture that kind of help us flesh out some very practical things to help us also see what we're doing as a church family in the coming weeks. But Hebrews 13, here's where we're going, guys. It's going to show us that we bear God's image as we love others well. If there's one big takeaway that the author is trying to share with their audience, because, because Jesus is greater than the law, because he's greater than all these things, all these promises we saw in the Old Testament, because Jesus is who he is, we bear God's image as we love others well. And then how we do this is we cling to our eternal hope in Christ. And I love sometimes when we've been going through Hebrews, the author will kind of use an entire chapter to build out an idea. In, in chapter 13, he, they kind of do something a little bit different where they say the same thing a couple different times. So we're going to look at the two big patterns in chapter 13, but they both point to the same reality. We bear God's image as we love others well. We do this by clinging to our hope in Christ. So I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into the text this morning. You say, Lord, uh, we... We struggle sometimes when it comes to loving others well, Lord. I mean, it is, it is in all of our natures to have, uh, we can call it defense mechanisms, we can call it preferences, whatever it might be, Lord, that we, we will hit points where we struggle to live out who you are for someone else. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by the charge that comes in Hebrews 13. Uh, And Father, may we be encouraged too because, I mean, as I was preparing for this week, I mean, Lord, you kept putting on my heart 
I have seen this in our church family. That this is a, a humbling and an exciting message to get to walk through because I get to share this with a group of people that I have seen this take root in. That's been exciting, Lord. So I pray that you would strengthen us, strengthen our resolve in who you are and the direction and the path that you've set before us uh, as we are reading through your word today, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. So this is Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. So the, the final chapter here, right, it, it's got some very practical instructions baked into it, but it's, they all fit under this, this picture of uh, that we love God's, or we bear God's image as we love others well, clinging to our eternal hope in Christ. So that, that first part of the pattern is, what do we do? What do we do as the people of God, the author of Hebrews says, in the circumstances that you're facing, we love others well, verse 1 begins by saying, let brotherly love continue. Very straightforward. It's this idea of, you know, this is the fundamental kind of basic character of the relationship we have with others. 
right? That we, we love them with this brotherly Philadelphia kind of love, a love, a care, a service toward one another. And the verb there, continue, is the same. It's one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. But it's the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, abide in me. It, it's the idea that you would be so committed to something that you would move into it, right? That, that to continue in something, to abide in something is like to build a house out of it and to go live in it. That, that, that's how committed you are. You're setting down roots in a way. Jesus says this is the effort that we are to give to others. And then the author immediately goes to verse 2 and says, Well, don't neglect then to show hospitality to strangers. Right? Which, you're reading verse 1, you're thinking this is a very natural charge. Of course, God would want us to show brotherly care, love, service towards those of the faith. But now verse 2 tells us that it kind of goes a little bit beyond that. That Greek noun there, hospitality, is tied to a verb very close to abide. So it's the same picture going on. But then it's told we're not to just, you know, withhold this, this hospitality, this brotherly love from strangers. Which, again, the context of the book of Hebrews drives this, right? Who would be the strangers in the book of Hebrews? This is a letter written to the early church. This is talking about people who are outside of the church. That we're not to just show brotherly love, care, service only towards those who, you know, we would agree with. Or think like, or or do the same things as there's there's not a there's not an exemption or a, a condition that's being placed on who we show this brotherly love uh, toward. Verse three kind of fleshes out this picture a little bit further. It says, "Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and remember those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body." Two pictures. The author telling the audience of saying, like, this is what it looks like to show this brotherly love and care and service towards someone. That you would be with them in their suffering. Right? That, that not only are you saying, well, they may think or act or, or believe a little bit differently than I do. So because of that, I'm not going to show service or care or love toward them. The author says, what you're doing is you're actually going to be so close with them that you're walking through them with whatever they have. It is a very tight bond that's being described here in the first three verses. And that is the context when we get to verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. Right? It, it would be really easy to kind of pull verse 4 out of context and make a sermon about marriage and God's design for sex and that. And I don't really want to move in that direction this morning, church, because this, this context is key, right? The, this idea of who we are showing brotherly love and care and affection towards who and both what it looks like, that drives verse 4. So we are, we're told in verse 4, we're told to honor what God's design for marriage and what God's design for sex looks like. In context, this is telling us this is one of the ways we value each other well. Right? This is one of the ways we show brotherly love, care, service to one another. We, we respect God's image bearers. But it also kind of gives us the idea, the way we go about leading others to do this, the way we go about engaging with our culture, about how we want to honor God's design for marriage and, and sex, it's the same thing. Right? That this, this charge to let brotherly love 
continue covers both how we treat it, how we see it, how we view it, and also how we engage others with it. Kind of the idea of what, what good is it if you have the standard right if you don't engage with others in the same attitude. And we get that exact same picture in verses 5 and verse 6. Because now the author says, okay, same thing that we're talking about with marriage and sex. Now we're going to talk about money. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These quotes now start to move us into the, the core issue, which is trust, right? Why would we want to live content with what we have? Because it, it shows we're trusting God, which means then we are being able to show this brotherly love and care uh, and service toward one another. The author quotes here Deuteronomy 31 and Psalm 118. It says, this is, this is what's taking place. Right? We are choosing to trust who God is. And as we do that in the way we handle money, in the way we handle our relationships, in the way we handle marriage, we are going to love others well. Now the author, I love what the author of Hebrews does next. Because they know, they know one of our big objections to this kind of logic. And I'll, I'll get to what that is. They, but they know, as we read the next couple of verses, they know where some of our minds are immediately going when we're given this call to let brotherly love continue to both those inside and outside of the church and of the faith. And the author immediately says, okay, before we get to what your struggle is, let me just remind you, look at what you saw from your leaders verse 7, and look at what you saw from Christ, verse 8. It says, you've seen this example. This is the context some of you may be familiar with, verse 8. It's a, it's a song that we have on one of the CDs for the kids. So it's, uh, when I was reading through this this morning, I was about to start singing it, and I'll spare you. But it, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's a nice idea, you know, that God is unchanging, and he is. But the context of Hebrews 13, there's a powerful charge that's embedded in this, right? The author has just said, remember the example that you saw in Jesus. Remember how in every interaction he had, both with people who agreed with him, both with the disciples, both with you know, the outcasts that he interacted with, even with the Pharisees, everyone that Jesus interacted with, Yes, it looked different practically what he was doing, but it was all characterized by loving others well. And because the author tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, says like that example is going to continue. There's not going to be a condition or an exemption or something that comes up and, oh, now all of a sudden we don't need to do this anymore. Right? That this example is no longer valid. Do we, we don't get that. Because Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. But the author knows, again, I've told you there's, there's a struggle we're going to have that's starting to, to bubble up here. The author knows this. So he immediately goes to verse 9 to say, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is for the good of those to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. Kind of a weird statement for us to just kind of see right in the middle of the letter. So it's good for us to say, okay, what's going on here? Diverse and strange come from these two different words in the Greek. Uh, diverse means just a bunch of different kinds of things. 
Kind of like if you go to Golden Corral, there is a diverse range of food that's in there, right? A whole bunch of different kinds of things. But strange, strange is a fun word. It is a play on words. It's two different Greek words, but it goes back to verse 2. The the Greek word where it says strange teachings in verse 9 is the same root of the one that says strangers in verse 2. The author is telling us, look, you can show brotherly love, brotherly care, brotherly service towards those who do not think like you or act like you or believe like you or hold to the same teachings as you. You can do this without being led into their teaching. Right? And, and I think it's, it's a powerful charge that the author is telling their audience, not only is it possible to love someone who doesn't think or act or believe just like you, not is it possible to show care and affection and give them dignity and value in God's image being in them. Not only is it possible, but it is the example we have seen in Christ who is the same yesterday and today. So what are, these, what are these strange teachings that the author is warning about? That would be the whole 10 chapters of Hebrews, right? We're not going to go back and read all of that because that would be a lot for you guys to have to take in this morning. But the author is saying, look, in context of this letter, all of these diverse and strange teachings have been trying to show the church, you don't, you don't really need Jesus, for God's reconciliation, right? What you need is the law. That's what the the audience of Hebrews was struggling with. And the author goes back to this to say, think about, think about for a second, church, what'd you see in the law, right? The law put distinctions and prohibitions on who Israel was to interact with, who they could even marry. It really was a picture of who is, is going to receive the blessing of this brotherly love and care and service. Because God straight up told his people, a couple nations over there, you're not even going to have anything to do with them. In fact, to go even marry one from that country is punishable by death, right? The law puts these distinctions in there, but we're told in verse, and by the teachings of the law, the author kind of catching the whole Old Testament realm in that statement, they've not benefited those devoted to them says, we have a new right to be with God, verse 10, in Christ. We have a new sacrifice on our behalf in Christ, verse 11. We have a new reconciliation for us, better than the law, verse 12. So because of Christ, we're not tied to the distinctions of the law. The author says, look, don't go to the law and say, well, because they didn't think like us or they didn't believe like us or they didn't act like us, we don't want to have anything to do with them. In Christ, verse 13, we're told, let us go to him outside the camp. Let's move away from the Old Testament law. And we bear the reproach that he endured. Basically, Don't put yourself under the restrictions of the law again. I just spent 11, 12 chapters showing you how Jesus is better than the law. You don't need to go back to that. Live as Christ did. And some of you may be picking up on, but our struggle with this is, okay, but, but Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. If we go live alongside and work alongside, and, and show brotherly love and care and service towards someone who, who doesn't think like me, doesn't act like me, aren't I just going to be led to live like them? 
I have I've often in in some church circles and ministry settings. I mean, people will say, "Well, it's it can tend to be a slippery slope, right? If I'm going to go work alongside or show love towards someone, aren't I just going to end up falling under their teaching?" And I want to pause because this is kind of the moment where, as your pastor, I'm not trying to belittle that argument. I have heard that, and there's a lot of validity behind it, okay? And I was thinking this week, if we're placing ourselves in the shoes of the early church that's reading this, or that's hearing this, either from the author Hebrews themselves or through somebody who's, you know, reading the letter by proxy, think about how this is going to be received, okay? They're essentially being told, wait a second, you're saying that those, those Jews over there who are putting us to death because we're not worshiping God as they are. They're putting us to death. You're telling me that I need to show brotherly love and care and service towards them. Like, is that really what you're telling me, author of Hebrews? You're telling me that I need to go love those people who are putting me to death for my faith. Think about the other side. We talked about this last week, the Romans. You're saying, wait a minute, author, you're telling me that the people and culture who are killing me, who are blaming me for everything that's wrong in their world, I need to go love them. I, I need to go care for them. I need to serve them. Like, wouldn't it just make me more like them? Wouldn't I just be falling into the same trap? I don't want to die for this, right? This, this is a very natural response. And the author doesn't blow over it, doesn't belittle the audience for saying, well, this is probably what you're thinking. The author acknowledges, look, I understand that this is what you're going to think, okay? But this is why the author's play on words in verse 9 is so powerful. It says, look, we, we are able. Not only are we able, it is in the image of Christ to be able to love and serve and care for others who don't hold to the same faith, teaching, convictions, whatever you want to insert there, is able to do that and not be led astray by the teaching. In fact, I think, man, that's, that has to be the example that Christ had set for us because when he stepped down into the world, there there, weren't, there was no one who was in his image, right? There were people who were following the law, but he really had to be gracious enough to move people from the place of saying, I, you're getting some things right, but let me bring you into who I am. And the author points out that second part of the main point again. How do we do this? How do you love someone well without being pulled into a, a strange or a diverse teaching. Verse 14, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The author is saying, look, you have hope in an example of one who did this well. You have hope in one who came, who perfectly loved those he encountered, even though they were trying to kill him, even though they did not agree with him, even though they, they hated what he said at times, he came and was able to perfectly love them. You have a hope in one who did that, who even death could not overcome his ability to still do this well. The author says that is where your hope lies. If our hope is on earth, 
if we're looking to build a, a you know, the, the, a lasting city on earth, of course, we're going to have some hardship with this. The author says that's not where our hope is. The pattern from verses 1 through 14, that God's image, we get to bear it as we love others well, clinging to our eternal hope in Christ. And this is the same thing the author says in the final verses here. If you pick up in verse 15, the author just keeps this idea going. It says in verse 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That verb acknowledge is a compound word. The, the first part of that means together or same. And the second part of that is word or nature. It's a sacrifice of praise. Our sacrifice of praise is us just saying to God, we want to be like you. God, in whatever we're going through, we want to be like you. We want to do whatever you're doing. Thank you, Dan. That we are striving to be the same as who God is. And who do we strive to do this for? It's for everyone, right? That there is no condition or exemption on our doing good or sharing what we have, which is uh, verse 16 there. Verse 16 reminds us it's because we are trying to please God. So we're able to do this. We're able to praise God by saying we are striving to be the same as who our God is by pleasing him. Practically, this looks like in verse 17 that we are obeying our leaders and submitting to them. That the picture of showing joyful brotherly love, care, service towards others, similar to remembering those who are in prison is if you're in prison with them. You know, remembering those who are mistreated because they're also in the body. You know, that in this joyful submission, it, it's the same picture, right? We, if, even if we don't find ourselves in unity with someone, we can still find a way to show this brotherly care, love, service toward them. The author says, look, to just spend our time pointing out all the reasons that one is wrong so that we don't have to show this care and affection toward them is of no benefit to you. That's right there. In verse 17, no advantage to you. So how we do this well, the last little bit of the book says, well, we do this together in community. Right? We can't just do this on our own. We do this through community in prayer, verse 18, and in practice, verse 19. We do this well through the equipment of our God, who's doing the same empowering work for us in his Holy Spirit that he did in Christ, verses 20 and 21. And we do this through encouraging one another with all grace, sharing the testimonies of how we've seen God at work doing this, verses 22 through 25. Same pattern. Same pattern. The author really wants the audience to get this. We bear God's image as we love others well. And we love others well by clinging to our hope in Christ. So as we kind of finish Hebrews... And really the only question we're left with is, then what does it look like to do this? And there's actually three short letters at the back of the New Testament. We're not going to read all three letters. But if you want to, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. The Apostle John, uh, he had so much to say, he had to fill it in three different books. But he's writing to an audience with the same struggle. He's trying to encourage them to say, look, I, I know that it is hard in the context you are in 
to learn how to love someone well in the image of God. So here, 2 John, verses 4 through 6, kind of give us a really good summary of what John is encouraging his audience, right? We'll just look at these three verses. John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, that just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. John points out that this is what this love looks like, walking in obedience to his commands. And his command is that you walk in love. Those of you, uh, you're probably thinking that's kind of circular reasoning, John. You're just tying the two things in together. If you read 1 John, John describes Jesus as the word, the commandment of God. So really what John is saying that to walk in love toward others well is to live as Christ would be for them. Right, so then what does Christ do for us? Perhaps the most succinct summary of this comes in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus quotes an Old Testament prophecy in verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, so here's what I do for you. Here's what I have promised you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, I have proclaimed good news to the poor. I have brought all salvation. I have proclaimed liberty to the captives. I have brought all deliverance. I have proclaimed recovery of sight to the blind, brought all healing and restoration. I have set at liberty those who are oppressed. I have brought all justice. I have proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. I have brought all peace in God's presence. Church, can we see why it would be important for us to be reminded that this is what Jesus has done for us and this is what he's doing for others? Because when you and I, if we're honest, when we start to feel like we're the ones who are suffering, like everything is out to get us, like the rest of the world just doesn't know what to do with us, when we get this mentality, we don't do this for others because we fight for this for us. Right, we've seen how when, when we feel like we're struggling to believe the message of salvation or we feel like it's not being understood elsewhere. We don't bring the message of salvation to others. We fight to make it more clear for ourselves. Right? When, when we feel like we're not being delivered from our struggles and things we're facing against others, we don't work for the deliverance of others. We fight for it for us first. We don't pray for or seek healing or restoration for others until we've gotten it first. We very rarely go after justice for others as long as we still feel like we don't have justice for ourselves. We often don't bring people into God's presence because we're not there to begin with. The author is showing his audience, I know when you are, I mean, we, they're being killed for their faith. So we're not in the same boat today. Just we bring it down a couple notches, even when we're struggling, just with a hard moment. The author says, I know that when we're struggling, our tendency is not to live as Christ lived for others. We fight to make it happen 
for ourselves. No wonder the author of Hebrews will land the plane in verse 13 saying, Guys, I know that you are being killed for your faith. Do not let that stop how you are living for Christ, as Christ, for others. The greatest testimonies in our human history mirror that of Christ. This is what our author of Hebrews has pointed us to. This is what John pointed to in his letters, that if we look at the example of Christ, even in being put to death, there was still nothing that was going to tell Christ, now we don't have to love. Now we don't have to care. Now we don't have to serve. He was always at work to save, to deliver, to heal, to restore, to provide justice, to make peace for ourselves and for others. And why? Because he trusted that God was doing that for him. That even death was not a picture of God failing to give that to Christ. Death was not a factor into that equation. Church, out of Christ's love for the Father, trusting that God would heal, God would save, God would deliver, God would restore, God would bring justice, God would bring peace to Christ, he then gives that to us, clinging to the hope he knew he had in the Father. And, and this is where, for me, this sermon gets to be very different from last week. Because last week, it's always hard as a pastor when we're reaching, you know, we're, we're working through Scripture, and I kind of have to end with, well, it doesn't look like this, and it doesn't look like this. And that's really all we're seeing today. Today, I don't have to worry about that. Today, I get to say, this is what this picture looks like. And the example that I was thinking about this week for what does it look like to love others well as Christ is you guys. And it is very humbling and it's very special for a pastor to be able to say, look, I see this charge in scripture, but the people I see this the most clear is in you all. Right? That I have seen and I have learned from many of you, you guys, many of you, you all sacrifice so much so that others not only hear the message of the gospel, you know, you're not just, you know, you're sacrificing to get them here and get them into community, but, but you, in your, the way that you live, right, it's not just in the words you're telling to people, you sacrifice to show others who God is. You have stepped in and done delivering works in each other's lives. You've allowed others to step in and deliver you from things, right? That's a big deal. That is a big deal. That's not common. That's why I want to encourage you in this. I've watched you guys and been a part of praying for, and many of you literally work for healing for others. Some of you, that's your literal job description, is to bring healing to others. Those of you who've worked in healthcare, but I've seen this both in spiritual and in physical ways. You guys do this. You do this for each other. You've brought others into the peace of God's presence by sharing your time, your energy, your gifts your tools, your skill sets, your know-how, literally whatever you have, you have shared it, and it has brought people to be in peace with God. I, I mean, it is, it is very, I'm honored to get to shepherd a church where I have seen that to be a reality, okay? That, that is a very, a very special thing. And that's why we have the mission and the vision and the values, the drive 
that we have as a church, right? Because we have seen this heart. And I want to show you guys from Hebrews 13, this is it, right? Like this is a good thing that you guys have. This is what we want to grow in. This is what we want to continue. This is why we have our mission, a community committed to disciple making and submitted to Christ. We want to keep this heart going strong and we want to learn how to share that with others. This is why we have the vision to be loving as Christ. We're seeing here today, learning from Christ. How do we do this well? Living in Christ. That's why we have the values, Christ is our life, reconciliation to God and others, sharing and experiencing God, transformational unity in Christ, the image of God in ourselves and others, the power of prayer, right? You guys have done this extremely well. There is no greater joy for a pastor to be able to say, this is what we see in scripture. You guys are doing a great job. Don't lose sight of that, okay? Just like verse 9, don't let other people come in and tell you what (laughs) we should be doing something else. Because I have seen in you all this heart, and we're going to continue to grow in that. So a couple ways we can do that. And John, I I think I have a slide. The next one should be this. There's a couple different things I want to point out over the next few weeks. First, how we can join God in this work in growing this heart is in our community groups. I wanted to circle back around because I know I've mentioned this a couple different times. But when we started our community groups for the first time last February, we started with two. And over the span of the year, we've now gotten to four. And I know I have mentioned it at various times. Why don't you get to see, we have tried to create times and spaces where we say, you know what, if this is the heart we want to have, we need encouragement. We need some fellowship to say, like, hey, how are you doing with this heart? Oh, this is where this is hard. Oh, this is where it's doing good. And we need to have time in the word where we're saying, okay, let's learn a little bit more about what this heart looks like. So we've tried to create those spaces in our community groups. We've got a couple different ones. We tried to catch a couple different times of the week. Hopefully it'll fit into your schedule. First and third Tuesdays is at our house, 630 to 8. First and third Wednesdays is at the Bowman, 6 to 8. First and third Mondays is at the church at 2. I believe they're meeting in the fellowship hall room. And then every Sunday morning here at 9 a.m. Four different times, four different groups. We want to grow. We want to keep growing this heart, guys. So I encourage you, if you're not in a group, we've tried to make them not burdensome in the time commitment. Sometimes it's hard to get to something every single week. So we try every other week. Um, you know, then there's times for us to meet in between. So join a community group if you're able. The second, serve in a couple different ministries. There's some ministries in particular that we're looking to expand right now to keep growing and moving the church forward. Uh, the three that we have up there, John, the first one is River Kids. We are always looking for help with the kids. Just because we have eight slots filled does not mean, oh, now we're good, right? Like right now the time commitment is about once a month. But our kids, uh, they, they get a lot from you all. And it's very special for me to ask, you know, Charlie, sometimes Jefferson remembers some things, but Charlie in particular will tell me what she's learning from you guys. I, I love getting to watch you guys interact with the next generation with our kids. So if you're 
wanting to work with kids, we have our River Kids ministry. Then we're also starting a new one. I had two different people come talk to us about this independent of each other, which usually is a good indicator that God is trying to work on something. Uh, but we're going to start a ministry to reach our fourth through sixth graders. Right? Something where they'll get to participate in here with worship with us, but then during the teaching time get to move into the fellowship hall and have a group together. So if you're thinking, man, little kids wear me out. But fourth through sixth graders, maybe not so much. And maybe only a 45-minute time instead of the entire time. Come talk to us afterwards because we are really, it, it's been cool to watch God kind of put some pieces together. Uh, this is a ministry that we are pretty confident we'll be able to start in the next few weeks. So I'll be sharing more about it with you guys. Uh, but then also our worship team. I mean, you guys see it's, it is fun and they do a fantastic job every Sunday. But my big heart for our worship team is that as we get to grow, then people don't have to do it every single week because there is something to get to worship with the body, not always up on the stage. So we're always looking to hope uh, to jump in with our worship team. So if you want to join in the work at New River Fellowship, certainly we got a lot of things going on, but those are three big areas. The third thing, and I'm super excited about this one, we are hosting a gospel conversations training. Um, this is honestly one of my favorite things to do as a pastor because I, I never want to have to lead one of these. Because I love getting to do this with you guys, that it's not something where I'm teaching us, here's how we share the gospel with people. That I get to sit with you guys and say, hey, I also need to be reminded and refreshed in this too. But on Sunday, April 2nd, so that will be on Palm Sunday, it's intentionally before Easter, Hopefully to get us ready for Easter. But from 3.30 to 6, we're going to meet in the Fellowship Hall building. Um, it's through our partnership with the Gideon International Ministries. So the Gideons are going to come, and they're just going to share with us what are some of their uh, tools and things they've learned about sharing the gospel with other people. And some skills, particularly to help us just work it into everyday conversations. Right? They're going to help us with things like listening. So some of you may just need to bring people you know that just need help learning how to listen well and, you know, nudge them on the shoulder during that portion. They're going to help us listen well. They're going to help us learn to ask good questions. But just a time for us to get to, you know, do a little bit of interactive. It's, it's, not, it's not a seminar. I've been told that you're not sitting and listening to somebody talk for two and a half hours. You're actually getting to engage. Some of it is you're taking notes. Some of it's writing stuff down. Some of it is you're... You know, sharing testimonies and things with other people in the room. So it's, it's going to be a fun time where we get to just practice, okay, how has the gospel been made real in my life? And how do I work that into a conversation? How do I talk about that with somebody else? Uh, we're also going to have dinner since, you know, 6 o'clock is right around the time most of us tend to eat. So we're going to have a, a church-wide fellowship and a gospel conversation training on Sunday, April 2nd. And then lastly, and this is more for me just to kind of let you know where we're going next, we're going to start moving through the book of Matthew next Sunday. Um, I, we're kind of landing here in Hebrews with this big call to say, live as Jesus toward others. In all things, in all situations, live as Jesus. And I cannot answer the question, who is Jesus, in the next two minutes. Uh, but I also really can't flesh that out perfectly in just one book either but that's where we're going 
We're going to go through the book of Matthew, and each week we're just going to be asking, okay, what do we see about Jesus? Who is Jesus from the gospel of Matthew? Matthew's going to pick up on a lot of these Old Testament themes that we've been seeing. So that's, that's going to be where we're headed next. Um, so guys, I'm excited about new ministries we have forming, uh, current ministries we have expanding, some fun things that we're going to get to do together um, I, there is a slide at the end of this, John, after the service. We'll have it up there so you can see the details again if, you know, we flew by it too quick. But come join this heart that I have seen in you guys. I pray that the Lord would just keep growing that, keep drawing that out of each of us. Um, so with that in mind, guys, let's, let's pray together as we close. We say, Sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme in heaven and earth. And all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. And thy providence governs our lives. But, O oh God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so. And if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in Christ, in him, all light and riches and honor and eternal life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to thee, the almighty instructor. Teach us to live to thee, the light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us fully in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it. And in the enjoyment of it, nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are, to recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Lord, help us to approach thee clothed with humility, for vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Father, let us never forget thy patience, thy wisdom, thy power, thy faithfulness, thy care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Lord, grant us peace as we desire to love others well. Grant us grace as we don't always know how to do that. Grant us wisdom, Lord, to show others who you are. And grant us humility, Father, to just let you and your spirit do the work that you have promised us and you have shown us time and time again you do. In your holy name we pray.